0: you're listening to a radio stockdale podcast podcasts that are inspiring interactive and feature various discussions of leadership ethics and law philosophy at the movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2017 film, First They Killed My Father. So this film is a true story. It is based on the memoirs of Laung Un. She was, at the time... The time this takes place is in the mid mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. She was a very young girl living in Cambodia. And the story is her experiences through the Khmer Rouge, sort of basically sort of set in the aftermath of us pulling out of Vietnam and particularly what happens in Cambodia with the first the Cambodian Civil War and then how that sort of leads into a war with Vietnam. And it, it really goes into a lot of this fighting between in Cambodia and then the Vietnamese, yeah. like the Vietnamese yeah. who have taken over after the Americans have pulled out. Yeah, And this was uh, the, uh, if you're familiar with the film from the 80s, The Killing Fields, this is about the same thing, the genocide of, I believe the film says, over 2
1: million people. Yeah, uh, interesting. Put it in perspective, it's an interesting way that uh, actually uh, President Nixon did in his book No More Vietnam's. He points out that Austria, and I looked this up today, at that time when he wrote that book, it was like 84, 85, somewhere in there. Um, Austria had a population of 8 million at that time. Now it's like 8.9, so it hasn't changed that much. And so did uh, Cambodia. And uh, Khmer Rouge killed and uh, st- essentially starved 2 million that's 25% of the population. Yeah.
0: To put and, that in perspective, America is about 330 million, so yeah. that would be almost 90 million yes. people died in our, to compare it to us. Right,
1: and the uh, end point uh, he makes when he draws that comparison is the relative lack of attention that was paid to this um, at the time. And if it had been Austria that had lost that Large a percentage of its population, Um, the point he makes is that the outrage and the public attention would have been much greater. So, interesting point to make.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you uh, bring up Nixon, because the very beginning of this film, even before we meet the characters, is a newsreel montage of sort of the the final years of the Vietnam War, particularly the Nixon, when Nixon was taking over, yeah. and it's sort of how the war spilled into Cambodia. There was bombing in Cambodia. And as we, Nixon, we also see Kissinger. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, since it's a Vietnam movie, you have to hear at least one 60s-era rock song. So you hear Sympathy for the Devil. Sympathy for the for Devil, Devil so yes. A really hammer the point home. I was almost waiting for a... There was a real... Some, I was waiting for There's Something Happening Here yeah. or, Get Together Now by the Youngbloods or yeah. Painted Black by the Stones as well. Was like we're bring out Credence. Come on, get all the 60s rock cliches <laughs> yes. out of the way. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, not to mention the cliched uh, view, I think, which is basically mistaken of, uh, I guess, Kissinger and Nixon being the devils. There There's actually a book written by a historian called William Shawcroft that kind of made the case that ultimately the reason this all occurred is because of uh, uh, the measures Nixon took in 1969, 1970, and then the latest uh, 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 was 1973. Um, the first two operations were the kind of operations the Johnson administration just didn't do that frequently. And if they did, it was very small scale. And actually, with the Nixon administration, it was relatively small scale too. Um, what they did is they uh, went into the areas of Cambodia and Laos that the North Vietnamese had been using at least since the 19, 1960 to move men and materiel into South Vietnam to... Uh, um, uh, uh, support their efforts to take South Vietnam. Um, and, you know, they had the Viet Cong they were supporting in South Vietnam, uh, all the while claiming it was an indigenous movement, complete uh, uh, claptrap that was, as later uh, people found out, including uh, troves of documents from Soviet archives. And a similar thing happened in Laos and Cambodia. The Vietnamese uh, supported the local communist parties, which is very, very interesting in the case of Cambodia because there was a long history of uh, enmity between the two countries because Vietnam, along with Thailand on the other side, uh, for centuries had kind of traded being imperial masters of Cambodia. They were kind of stuck in the middle of all this. And it kind of stopped to some extent when the French were in there. And then when the French pulled out, essentially because they had uh, a combination of World War II and the uh, first Indochina war, weren't unable to stay in Indochina. They essentially, uh, uh, even though they gave Cambodia a kind of independence, it was a de facto independence. It left a vacuum to some extent. So, What ended up happening was the North Vietnamese were uh, able to use the eastern part of Cambodia to create what's called the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, uh, in the 50s, but it really started going into high gear in the 60s. Uh, Like I said, uh, Johnson didn't do too much about this. Occasionally he would do operations to uh, attempt to staunch that flow. Uh, because they were obviously using it to attack Americans in South Vietnam, who were there helping South the Republic of South Vietnam. Um, so Nixon went in uh, three or two operations in that area. One in nineteen sixty nine, one in seventy. Um, didn't go any farther than about 20, 21 miles into the country, and he bombed uh, 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 installations and command structure that the North Vietnamese. Vietnamese have set up in that area. Uh, and uh, I have to also point out that uh, they had pushed out most of the local population. So this, this impression you get in the film that there were tremendously high casualty numbers in civilians, that's hotly contested. Um, it's assumed in the film, right, as one of the precipitating conditions here. The other operation was in uh, 1973, shortly before uh, the... Uh, Khmer Rouge took over Phnom Penh. Um, they had about a quarter of the country at that time. At that time, this is post Paris peace agreement. Um, at that time, uh, American, uh, Americans were not going to put, uh, boots on the ground in there to try and uh, help Cambodia protect itself. So they, they did the only option available at the time. And it only went on for about six months until Congress cut off funding for it. Um, but they bombed uh, Khmer Rouge um, uh, uh, encampments that were about 20, 25 miles, I believe it was south of Phnom Penh. I'm not 100% sure. But they were about to also choke off the Mekong River, which would have been disastrous for Cambodia. So uh, that ultimately uh, didn't work because of that uh, funding cutoff, and Lon Nol was not able to defend the country. Um, in the interim, the Vietnamese had been propping up and supporting the Khmer Rouge, which again is very odd given the enmity between the two countries. But the Vietnamese were thinking strategically: Hey, if we uh, help these communist brothers take over that country, then maybe we can exert a greater amount of control once they take control. Now, what they didn't realize, and they should have realized, (laughs) is that there was, like I said, deep-seated enmity between uh, Cambodia and uh, Vietnam, uh, going back to at least the 16th century. So the Khmer Rouge were just as kind of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of here, cynical and uh, strategic in their thinking as the North Vietnamese were, and they took that aid. Sure they did, but they all the while um, were planning on uh, uh, booting the North Vietnamese out once they took control. So this is all unexplained in the movie. You're kind of left wondering why it is the communist brothers would be fighting each other, right, the the North North Vietnamese and the Khmer Rouge, and the amount of hatred that you see portrayed on the Cambodian side, the Khmer side, uh, in those kind of propaganda scenes you've seen the kids being subject to Mm -hmm. oh well that's why that's why Um, and that's why ultimately the vietnamese uh, felt it necessary to go into the country because the khmer rouge were attacking vietnam (laughs) it it
0: reminds me because like that infighting between you know two Sides are thinking, wait a second, weren't they kind of on each other's sides during the Vietnam War? It, it reminds me of that phrase uh, I forget, I don't know if anybody particularly quoted it, but the phrase that the left eats their own. Yeah. It's that, it's because it, even what you think about the Russian Revolution is I believe Lenin and Trotsky didn't get along and there was a split faction. There. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's always that case. So, I mean, even thinking more humorously, the life of Brian, when it's the Judean people's front, and the people's front of Judea, they're yeah. always fighting. Yeah. even though yeah. they, they almost have the exact same beliefs. It's that thing of, if their beliefs aren't exactly like theirs, then it's yes. not even just, we agree to disagree. It's like, no, you're evil. We need to take you yeah.
1: out. Yes. Um, and you, you see it uh, portrayed a little bit in the film, but you definitely see it much more clearly portrayed in the book. It's based on and, and other writings from that time period. It is, uh, Uh, to put it bluntly, classic communist paranoia. Um, And Paul Pot makes Stalin look like weak tea when it comes to paranoia. I think the Um,
0: quote about, um, sorry, the the statistic about Pot is the life expectancy during this era for Cambodians dropped all the way to 19 years old.
1: Yes, yes. And it was so bad that um, he was forced to uh, on a practical matter to uh, uh, recruit the kids into the cadres as you saw and this is the whole story of this film this, this poor young woman this, this girl is being recruited into this uh, cadre essentially a military role um, by necessity because they were so paranoid about all the adults they figured that they, they all were suffering from deviationist thinking uh, uh, individualist thinking and so forth that they thought, um, and this is again very classically communist, their attempts to radically remake human psychology, uh, uh, any 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 indication of criticism, or even constructive criticism, was taken by the Khmer Rouge to be uh, um, uh, uh, evidence of um, uh, too great an individualistic psychology capitalist psychology that needed to be rooted out and changed. And they thought they could do that with uh, the introduction of starvation, hard labor, and so forth. And eventually people would buckle under to it. They actually uh, 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 borrowed this line of thinking from Mao. Mao did this in China. Um, But they came to realize, as Mao also did, that um, uh, the Calcet, the supposed recalcitrance of individualist thinking, right, uh, made it the case that you're not going to succeed in this uh, uh, inhumane psychological enterprise with adults. So they, they, not only from a purely practical matter, because they were starving and killing so many people, had to resort to the kids, but they also also thought, starting with really young kids, They'd have a better chance of radically remaking psychology. Um, and we see uh, uh, in this case, interestingly enough, I think, uh, what a miserable failure it was. But um, yeah, his case, the Khmer Rouge case, is, it is the most extreme form of communism that uh, uh, happened in the 20th century by a long shot. It, Like I said, it makes Stalin look mild.
0: And you bring up, you know, you Stalin and Mao, and you, you, you kind of the, the beginning is sort of suggesting how our actions sort of led to this. But I would also say a lot of their lines of thinking not only came from, you know, some people like Ho Chi Minh, but I also you see, I said Mao or Stalin. I mean, Stalin starved his people in the 30s. But mm-hmm. there's um, two movies that I was thinking of that also show the beginning of a communist revolution. One is Dr. Zhivago and one of the main character played by Omar Sharif he comes back after the revolution's taken over and his family was sort of wealthy up to do but their mm-hmm. house has now been commandeered yeah and you're basically saying you have to serve the government this is you know you cannot live here anymore this is for for the government mm-hmm. and there was also a chinese movie uh, called To Live which is about this family husband and wife and sort of their lives through sort of the beginning of World War 2 through all the revolution of Chairman Mao. And they talk about the cultural revolution, but they're farmers. And one of the things that's shown a lot is the, his great leap forward where he is trying to move away from agriculture, more about industrialize. And they're always trying to donate. The, the big thing they're trying to get in the village is everyone to get all their scrap iron.
1: Yes. And uh, what Mao did uh, on a larger scale is what Pol Pot's trying to do. Um, He had a plan, according to which, and he literally did this, and this movie does a wonderful job showing this. He was going to take out all of the middle class people and the people that were teachers and doctors and uh, working in the cities, move them into the countryside, and temporarily for four or five years um, make Cambodia just about exclusively an agricultural state that would be able to uh, produce rice to a much greater extent than it ever had in the past, and then use the income that it would create uh, from that exportation to uh, eventually uh, become an industrial giant. So he literally moves, and and like you said, Mao did things like this, the Russians did things like this. He literally moves the entire urban population (laughs) Out of the cities, and then the film, like I said, does a great job of portraying this in the case of Phnom Penh, Um, out of the cities, uh, giving them a cock and bull story that they're going to come back in three days after because they're afraid the Americans are going to bomb. Uh, They hadn't bombed Phnom Penh proper. They had been bombing well outside of the city, but... um, they took them at their word, and they went. and And you can see that they realized that that was a ruse. The family realizes that, that was a ruse as the three days pass. The father knows what's going on, um, and it it was an absolutely miserable failure. Um, this uh, 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 attempted uh, large scale social engineering, and this went on uh, from 1975 to 1979, when when the uh, Vietnamese finally invaded because of. Uh, what the Khmer Rouge were uh, doing at their border, uh, invading Vietnam, uh, but this is classical again communist thinking. They think they can do these large-scale, centrally planned, uh, uh, thoroughgoing revolutionary revisions of social and psychological nature of humanity, and um, they never the, the the efforts never succeed. And they always fall back on blaming uh, forces outside their own incompetence when they do it. And uh, uh, that happened de- most definitely in the, case, in the case of the Khmer Rouge and Paul Pott. Um, what's kind of interesting in the case of Paul Pot, though, is he, uh, he, he's a significant deviation from kind of the standard practice that was uh, uh, the case in Russia, Vietnam, And China, all of them had cults of personality. When you think of Chinese communism, who do you think of? You think of Mao. You think of those common pictures of Mao, the Little Red Book. Uh, Same with Stalin in Russia, after he had consolidated power. Um, It was Lenin before him, right? And in Vietnam, it's Uncle Ho, Ho Chi Minh. You have these figures, and they very self-consciously cultivated this uh, cult of personality. Paul Pot didn't do that. He stayed kind of in the background. There were very few pictures of him taken. Um, the 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 uh, most Cambodians did not even know that there was a communist party running this thing until they had already been moved out to the country and seen the pictures of Lenin and and Marx and Stalin and uh, in those uh, training uh, rooms. Uh, you'll see throughout the film and this is accurate too that reference isn't made to the uh Campuchian Communist Party the reference is made made to Encar right which is roughly translated as the organization this was a conscious choice on his part he wanted to remain anonymous and not have the the alleged uh, um great results that he was going to bring forth uh uh, uh, credited to him but credited to the party so it's a very interesting and quite drastic deviation from standard practice with him
0: and even going away from communism another thing that because we, the whole thing is her story Langoon is even as young as five she's brought in they're not just training to be a member of the Com, being a communist. They're training also her to be a child soldier. Once they start going to war with Vietnam, yes, we see. And you, she's not the only one. Like one, one of the first things when they're her and her family are being brought into those camps, there's people saying you should have been shot. And like it's this like girl that's probably no older than like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, and it reminds me of what is going, what has been going on in many countries in Africa. Particularly, uh, you know, things we hear about uh, Joseph Coney, If anyone remembers that famous viral video about t- ten years ago, Coney twenty twelve, he's recruiting child soldiers. Yeah, there was a f- another movie called "Beasts of No Nation," where they leave the country unnamed, but it's the story of this boy that's his family's killed. He's brought in under this you know, guy who runs this private army, mm-hmm. and they're they're drugged, and they're molested by the leaders, and then they are trying to be killers.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's exactly what they were doing. And uh, again, in the case of the Khmer Rouge, it was a very thoroughgoing effort because they felt the family unit was something that was inimical to the the proper running of a communist state. So uh, they don't actually show that this family uh, was kept together longer than most families were kept together during this time period. What typically happened like, on those evacuations out of the major cities is they deliberately separated family members from each other, and they started these indoctrination sessions and told them, literally, Angkar is your mo- mother and father. Um, um, you do not need to be thinking about your, your uh, friends or your family. Any showing of affection was punished. Any showing of uh, uh, even happiness or laughing over maybe a joke or something like that was also punished. They were literally trying to turn these people into affectless working automatons. In fact, one of the famous sayings, I can't remember the exact gist of it, was that, Uh, you are no more valuable than the ox that is pulling the plow that you are doing. In fact, they would sometimes punish people for mistreating the ox uh, in horrible ways, to drive home to them the the, the message that uh, your individuality doesn't matter, your family doesn't matter, all that matters is Angkar and what you do for Angkar. Uh, the most thoroughgoing, I think, uh, attempt at that kind of indoctrination that you'll see. But you're right, it's common. It's, it's very common, especially in situations where people are attempting to create, uh, um, as it were, uh, rebellion and uh, military units that they can use to that effect. There's a lot of indoctrination involved, and they purposely pick on kids because they know kids are impressionable and will... Uh, be more likely to be, as it were, reprogrammed by this kind of behavior. What I find particularly remarkable about about Wong Un is the fact that she wasn't. She does learn, and I think this actress does a fantastic job of this, she does learn to keep a completely stoic and unreactive face. But you can see by the subtlety of her eye movements... And such that she is never turned into that robot, and also develops an um, an adult's ability to survive in the harshest possible circumstances. She never loses her humanity either. Mm-hmm. Um, well portrayed, and when you when you actually read the books, it's remarkable she survived because she was what five when all this started. Yeah. And beginning
0: is five, and then once she's like near ten or so when the Vietnam yeah. War starts.
1: And as, as far as I know, too, she's, she's written uh, three books. I believe so. Um, the, the second book starts out, she comes to America because her brother, this is an interesting case, uh, he, he managed to get enough money to get a fraction of their family out. And he picks her because she's the youngest. Um, so she comes to America, and there's a, a book about her experiences adjusting to America. And then I think the third one is actually the story of her finding her husband <laughs> and getting married.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and we when you talk about her, you there's that moving scene near the end where they've crossed the border and they're at a Red Cross first aid station, which is more much more comfortable. But yeah. they've captured, I believe, one of the ANCARs. The soldier and everybody's throwing rocks at him, berating him for all the things they've done. She's looking at him, and she doesn't feel that sympathy necessarily for him. But she's looking at him, and then she just views her father. Yeah, and it's recalling back. It's it, it reminds me of this kind of a scene at the very end of the Night of the Hunter. Yeah, where the fa- the kid is flashing back to what, what they yeah. did to his father. Yeah, but he, he's a reminder of her father, and she. Almost tries to hug him, even though because she's visualizing what they did to her.
1: Yeah, she like you said, she hasn't lost her compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things they were desperately trying to extinguish in the in, in human beings was compassion, so that they would be these working automatons for that socialist state. Um, but she never loses that. And I think that's uh, a very telling thing that um, about human psychology. It's deep seated. It's hardwired into us. You can't exterminate that. Contrary to what the communist thought because they ultimately it's kind of interesting their views on human psychology uh according to them uh the the basics of a human's psychology um are determined by in the strictest sense of that term causally determined by the features of the economic system they grow up in right so for instance um in the Western world, there's emphasis, rhetorical and otherwise, on the notion of in- individual rights, property rights, a man's home is his castle, that kind of thing. Right? They would uh, they they would um, uh, purport that that is simply a artifact of having grown up in, in a capitalist economic system where private property is kind of essential. Right. Uh, they, they think if you change the economic system of uh, society enough, you can fundamentally change human psychology, right? To where the human beings will no 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 longer think of themselves as individual bearing individuals bearing rights. They will be think of themselves kind of as a as an ant in the collective farm, uh, ant farm, so to speak doing doing the work for the collective and not having that kind of a concern for themselves um, the uh, Khmer Rouge thought something like that the social the, the uh, Soviets thought something like that um, and then they but then they ran into problems when they instituted their socialist states people's psychology wasn't changing right they, they were still uh, quote too individualistic right so they would Try further methods to change these things, and you you see it in the Khmer Rouge. Uh, This methodology and this belief system carry to the most extreme uh, possible, and also its utter and complete failure because um, uh, it's clear that human psychology is not derived from (laughs) the social institutions within which they grow up. No, it's hardwired genetic. Uh, you can't get rid of the compassion. You can't get rid of the self-interest. Uh, uh, it's part of who we are, just as much as the altruism is. And they made the mistake of thinking otherwise.
0: And when you think of, because I don't know the current uh, situation in Cambodia, because I believe their government, is their government still communist in a way? Or no, no, no. It's it's, it's
1: it's a constitutional monarchy now. Okay. Um, Two guys, have, uh, there's kind of a, the monarch, and then there's a prime minister. Uh, the prime minister has been in, 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 in power for quite a while. Uh, now, if you look at the Freedom House Foundation, they, have, they rate countries on relative amounts of freedom, right? Uh, there are ones and twos in a lot of categories. And this is out of (laughs) ten. So that's the bottom. Yeah. So, but there are some categories where they're fours and fives, uh, but they are not nearly as bad as this case was. Yeah. The life expectancy Uh, is not nineteen years. Yeah. They're they're kind of typical for regimes over in that part of the world. Um, um, They're never going to be uh, Jeffersonian democracies or anything like that, but they're functional. Um, they don't have the um, amounts of freedoms we would take for granted in our part of the world, um, but they are not deeply inhumane as the Khmer Rouge were, or the North Vietnamese, for that matter. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind, it was kind of a, a recursion back to form. <laughs> um, you know, this is the same kind of regime that was in place in Cambodia before the Khmer Rouge, and in, in place in South Vietnam. Uh, Diem was no saint, but was uh, certainly better than the North Korean or North Vietnamese alternative. And we can say the same thing about uh, Lan Nall, who was uh, the—and Sienok, who were the two leaders of Cambodia before all this happened. Not perfect by any means, and were prone themselves to barbaric methods, but nothing to the extent that the Khmer Rouge were.
0: And in another country, I believe that borders Cambodia, I'm not 100% sure, is Laos. And yes. for a long time we talked about Rescue Don, about y- Dieter Dangler. Yeah. When he is captured, it's the path at Laos. Yes. To run that camp, this POW camp that take him in. So yes. I believe I looked them up, and they are still pretty much the same. They're still a communist country.
1: It's a, a Marxist. It, it professes to be Marxist-Leninists, uh, like the like Vietnam does. So they're they're very similar. And during during the historical period, this movie represents just as the North Vietnamese were actively aiding the Khmer Rouge, they were also actively, actively aiding the Pathet at Laos, right? And part, parts of the Ho Chi Minh trail were running through Laos. So they were doing this obviously so they could get communist, a communist state. So they would not have to worry about fighting that state to allow them to run the trail through it. And they were doing it with both countries. Um, and they're similar now in many ways to North Vietnam in, in that they, they've, they're still avowedly Marxist-Leninist, but they, they realized at some point that economically it just doesn't work. So they've in a way turned into uh, um, state-run, semi, you might say capitalist-run uh, uh, enterprises. Um, China did the same thing, right? China is an economic powerhouse because it trades with the rest of the world, despite its profession to be Marxist-Leninist. Um, so the uh, Laos is, in terms of the Freedom House ratings, even lower than Cambodia, but it's not as atrocious as it once was under the Pathet Lao.
0: And another, because th- you know, over the last just almost two years ago now was when we pulled out of Afghanistan, and I remember. The day it happened, we were showing the pictures leaving the embassy, and then everybody was flashing back to 75 when we left Saigon. Yeah. And one of the things I'm, I will, you, you think people always make this comparison to us leaving Vietnam, to us leaving Afghanistan, is what's going on in Afghanistan with the Taliban, is it similar to this, or similar what happened in Vietnam? Yeah. Particularly, how we talked about um, this is what winning looks like. We talked about how the Taliban treats children. Yep, and you, well, you can make those comparisons.
1: Yeah, and well, even they don't show it in the film, but there, the, there was even the, the same kind of tragic uh, uh, evacuation once once Congress had pulled all possible support away. The United States had no other alternative other than evacuate. And there was even an evacuation of American personnel out of Phnom Penh um, after uh, that 1975 uh, takeover there. It happened about two weeks before the fall of Saigon in 1975. So you see the same kind of thing again. And it does send a very troubling message uh, in terms of um, American dependability for allies, because they see these kinds of things happen and, and always wonder: well, you know, if we commit to the Americans and uh, help them out uh, when they uh, either come over to fight in our country or help us fight in our country, um, how do we know they're not going to abandon us? Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the most tragic modern case in point is Afghanistan. Um, we pulled out of Bang- Bagram Air Force Base, uh, I think precipitously. It was too dangerous and ended up having to evacuate out of a civilian airport. And um, uh, 13 Americans were killed in the process, but uh, uh, many, many Afghans were. And you have these tragic images of them trying to hold on to the American planes as they're leaving that airport. And you have the tragic case of the many translators and other people that helped the Americans who were left to the tender mercies of the Taliban. Um, Yeah, these are definitely shameful episodes in American history and we need to very seriously consider them any time we commit our troops and our uh, uh, government personnel and our ambassadorial personnel to a country and, and commit to helping them or commit to fighting a war in their borders. We have to be I think, much more circumspect in doing when we do that. And also commit to helping those people that have helped us and who are in grave danger. Should we pull out, we must commit to helping them pull out, get them out of there, too. It's the least we could do.
0: Yeah, There's actually a movie that just came out about four months ago called The Covenant, which is about that of this Afghan translator who saves a U.S. soldier. The soldier gets out, but then... Translators left behind after once the Taliban take over, and he's got to go and get them back.
1: So yeah, yeah.
0: It definitely deals with that situation. All right, anything uh, near the end of my questions? Anything else you want to bring up? We should bring up that the director of this movie is Angelina Jolie. That's right. Yeah, so I just thought it'd be a little interesting, little tidbit there. Yeah, and she does
1: a hell of a job, and I really like the fact that the uh, the uh, all the actors cr- are Khmer, and the uh, credits all run in. Uh, Khmer, uh, and um, they all do an excellent job. I, th- I think you, I think the portrayal of, apparently it's even better in the book, but the portrayal of the connection between Long Un and her father, I think is particularly um, uh, effective in that film. And you see him realizing that uh, it's totally out of cons- his control. He is going to be taken from his family and killed, right? And he tries his best, and so does the mother, to uh, uh, do what they can to protect their kids. In fact, the mother is very strategically smart. At one point, she realizes um, they have been slowly focusing in on families of former government uh, figures, and he was in the military, right? Uh She knows that means that they're going to kill off every last member of that family because they've got to purify the society and the psychology. So she gets those kids together says, okay, you guys have to leave. I'll stay here, but you have to leave. And she sends sends them in different directions so that dilutes the possibility of capture and tells them, you don't tell them who you are. You tell them you are just uh, refugees looking for a camp, right? Very smart thinking uh, on both of their parts. I think the portrayal of the parents in this film is particularly strong.
0: Yeah, And at the very end of the movie, we do see Lao Moon in real life yeah. with the two of her siblings, and they are praying at a Buddhist temple yeah. for, the, for all those who were passed during this time. Yeah,
1: I believe that's Angkor Wat, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. it's a very effective... Uh, um, uh, into that film
0: All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics of the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over If you like this podcast you might be interested in my other podcast Real Sounds rich episode dedicated to classic movie soundtracks that can be found online at thesoundoscinema.dotpotomac.dotcom. And for our next show, we will be discussing the 2006 film *United 93*. So, if you want to uh, not be spoiled, be sure to catch up on that before the next one comes out. So, until next time, I'm Alex Baker,
1: and I'm Sean Baker.
0: Saying so long, we'll catch you next time on *Philosophy at the Movies*.